I'd say that this is a full-on school experience. You know, this is fully immersive school. Um, and it's for people who, for children, students who, who really want to roll up their sleeves and get fully involved in, in school life, in the work, in the friendships, in the sport, the music, the drama, in everything, uh, in the community. Uh, if you're a type of child who is kind of so-so about school, you can take it or leave it. Um, you know, you like to go into school and then you like to leave at half past three and mm -hmm. go and do something else. Then this type of school isn't really for you. It's for, it's for the people who uh, really want to make a commitment to their school lives. And like everything, therefore, you, you get out what you put in. And welcome to Tea with the Head. I am Ferdinand Steinbeis, Director of Boarding School Specialists for Bühler Education. And in this podcast, I interview heads of some of Britain's finest boarding schools. I talk to them about their schools, of course, their views on education and anything else that could be interesting. In this episode, I asked Ben Figgis, Headmaster of Boarding School Ardinglake College, to tea. Ben and I had a great chat about Ardinglake College itself, how the school prepares its pupils for an uncertain world through developing their empathy for other people's situations and points of view, and what life with COVID-19 has been like at Ardinglake. Also, Ben told me about his career and what his biggest challenges as a headmaster are at the moment. Ben is a really nice very smart person and great to talk to. I really enjoy my chats with him. And so without much further ado, I bring you Ben Figgis, Headmaster of Ardinglake College in England. So I have Ben Figures, headmaster of Ardinglake College here. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining me for tea this afternoon. Yeah, not at all. Glad to be here. Excellent. Um, ben, first off, I have to ask, this being called Tea with the Head, this podcast, did you actually bring a cup of tea with you by any chance? Uh, I don't <laughs> at the moment. I'm... <laughs> Uh, I've probably had enough tea for the last couple of months to last me a lifetime, so probably just water for the moment. That is absolutely fine. Are you a tea drinker? Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a good old-fashioned English tea drinker, but I, I don't drink coffee. My, just about my only virtue of things I, I, I shouldn't do that I don't do is I don't drink coffee. So I drink tea rather than coffee. Yeah. Okay. But the, world, the rest of the world has gone mad for coffee. Okay, uh, but you're sticking to, to tea. Do, do you have any particular tea, tea rituals or anything like that? Uh, no, again, I'm a very simple man. I like a, an old-fashioned uh, English tea bag uh, with a bit of milk, and that's it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, ben, where are you at this moment? Are you at school? Yeah, yeah, I'm in my study at school in the office, and... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we are we're on the second week of our half term 
So yeah. we have a two-week break in the middle of this long term. And uh, so we uh, had a bit of time off last week. I went to see my daughter, who's just started uh, at Edinburgh University, just to check how she is and her friends are. Obviously, starting university at this time is quite hard. Yeah. Um, uh, especially if they've been locked in for a while in the university accommodation. Uh, but she was she was doing well, and the rest of her year group seemed to be doing okay, yeah. making the transition from school to to university. And then, obviously, we're like everybody, we're we're checking it week by week, working out what we're going to be able to do uh, for the rest of this term. The yeah. first the first seven weeks that we had here, I've got to say, were were remarkably normal. <clears throat> you okay. know, we had virtually every student back, maybe about eight or nine students uh, overseas borders who uh, weren't able to come back from yeah. September. Um, but everybody else was back. And, you know, apart from a few things like school trips that couldn't happen, the day-to-day life at the school has been very, very normal, touch wood. And obviously we're hoping to be able to continue that uh, until Christmas. Fantastic. And you haven't had any COVID cases at school, I assume? Uh, we have had two students who tested positive mm-hmm. um, in that they were younger. They were in the younger years of our school, so <clears throat> they weren't boarders. We have a prep school on the same site, so they were in the younger years in, in the junior school. Um, <clears throat> so their parents were able – and, in fact, they tested positive at home rather than at school. Mm-hmm. So they weren't actually in, in school. Okay. Um, and they tested positive, so they isolated, and uh, you know their 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 contact group isolated, and we made the the arrangements. That the real difficulty for for schools, the boarding schools, will be if we have uh, significant numbers of boarding students who test positive and therefore have to isolate uh, for two weeks, and then that mm-hmm. becomes much harder for them. Because obviously, you know, spending two weeks in a room uh, on your own, having do- having the food put outside, is that's no fun for anybody. That sounds like a prison sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Ben, well, thank you so much for the for the brief intro and also giving some context on COVID. I would like to really start our chat by talking, obviously, about Arlingline. Um <laughs> And first off. Uh, It'd be great if you could, if you had to explain Arling Life to someone who's never heard of your school before, what would you say? Um, uh, I mean, if they, if, they, if they really didn't know about UK boarding schools, <clears throat> then uh, obviously that's a harder task because you have, <laughs> you have to explain how they're, how they're different and distinct from, you know, an average school. And I think if they were that type of person, I'd say that this is a, a, a full-on school experience. You know, this is fully immersive school. Um, and it's for people who, for, for children, students who, who really want to roll up their sleeves and get fully involved in, in school life, uh, in the work, in the friendships, in the sport, the music, the drama, in everything, uh, in the community. Uh, if you're a type of child who is kind of so-so about school, you can take it or leave it. Um, you know, you like to go into school and then you like to leave at half past three 
and mm-hmm. go and do something else, then this type of school isn't really for you. It's for, it's for the people who uh, really want to make a commitment to their school lives. And like everything, therefore, you, you get out what you put in. And, and uh, I think that's, the, that's how I'd explain it, really. It's a, mm. it's a friendly school. There's a lot going on. Um, and uh, it is absolutely there, – there is obviously a minimum that everybody has to put in. Uh, but beyond that, uh, everything you put in, the enthusiasm, the energy, uh, will, be, uh, will be repaid several times by the enjoyment – and the satisfaction that you get from school. True. Um, and what would you say is uniquely Aringlai? I mean, you talk quite, you talk generally about, you know, the British boarding schools and, and that experience. Anything specifically Aringlai that you would like to highlight? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And maybe the Germans have got a word for this. Um, in English, there's a, there's a, there's a phrase, alpha, which, which means sort of, you know, somebody's alpha, they, it's probably the same. I think it translates internationally. Um, <clears throat> you know, somebody who's alpha is, is a sort of very prominent, uh, very sort of strong personality, possibly a bit dominating, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, uh, there isn't, in English, there isn't really a word for uh, the opposite of alpha. There is a word mm-hmm. beta, but beta is a bit different. Beta is sort of where you're 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 not aspiring to be very, very much. You're just sort of sure. very black. And we're not that. But what it is not is a school. Uh, and you'll know this as well, Ferdinand. There are some, particularly the kind of the big UK boarding schools. They are quite alpha. They're quite you know high performance, high pressure, um, uh, and lots of uh, very sort of determined uh, people in mm. there. Uh, this school has a more gentle feel to it. I think one of the things I've always liked about it is that uh, it has a a friendliness to it, a gentleness to it. But at the same time, you know, we're managing to achieve things yeah. uh, in the in the academic sphere, <clears throat> in the sport and the music and so forth. So. It's not that we're not aspirational. We have, we're very aspirational, but we we want to achieve things um, within the kind of context of of children growing up uh, to look after each other, to have a certain gentleness and humility mm-hmm. to them. Uh, and I think that's probably the threat, the word I would use that engage engaging in school life, but with humility. Mm-hmm. Is what we're, is what we're about, really? Okay. And uh, I think that's that's how I would describe us as as being a bit distinct. And I hope uh, any any you know parents who are listening to this or students, uh, if they know us, I hope that's what they'd recognise when they in us when they when they come here and spend some time here. Yeah, great. Um, yes, and definitely, I, I can only echo that from what I know and what I know um, through visiting Arlingai and what I get told by our pupils at Arlingai. Um So, yeah, definitely resonates. Um, ben, it's really no, no, it's no exaggeration to say that we are living in in pretty uncertain times right now. Uh, obviously, you know whether this is COVID, whether this is yep. you know everything that's happening in Europe, uh, everything that's happening in the world at large. Um, what what does a top boarding school like Ardingleit do to prepare children for this world? 
Mm. Well, we've been we've been talking about this a lot, uh, and we have a program that um, you will see. Uh, it's on our website. It's on our buses. It's it's everywhere, and we call it World Ready. Uh, and the idea started about five years ago, prompted exactly uh, Ferdinand by by what you're saying that. The world is changing very fast. Even before COVID, it was changing fast. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, I think it's really important that schools continue to challenge themselves uh, to think about what, what it is that children require from their school experience uh, to help them f- prepare for what comes next. Yeah. And in some ways, those things are very obvious and they're very tangible. So knowledge of their subjects, knowledge of the world, knowledge of um, what they want to study at university, what they might want to do for their career, um, uh, and some development of the skills that they might need to take the next step beyond school. So I think some of World Ready that we practice here and that other schools will practice as well is, is quite obvious and you know, lots of schools are doing it, mm. how well they're doing it, <laughs> um, and whether they're doing it for everybody is a different question, but that that's really important. But the I think the real challenge um, beyond, beyond those very obvious ones and beyond, for example, <clears throat> everybody learning to, uh, to use technology uh, well, the real challenge is uh, is how they develop, I think, the relationships between each other mm-hmm. and the way in which they relate to people who are different to themselves <clears throat> in a positive way. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we, we call that empathy here. We have, a, we have an empathy program um, that we have been using for the last three years uh, and what it did was to identify um, a, a difficulty that we see in the world outside <clears throat> whereby people who don't agree with each other find it very hard to, <laughs> to have any kind of conversation at all really yeah. um, because they just disagree with each other and then they go onto social media and start shouting at each other Sure. And, and, nobody's, and nobody's really listening. <clears throat> and you can see this sometimes in schools uh, with, uh, you know, children either on political issues or on social issues. Um, you can see it in Black Lives Matter. You can see it sometimes in the relationship between boys and girls when they're in their early teenage years. They, they have the potential to have a lot of misunderstandings and, and sometimes from those misunderstandings, some quite damaging behavior, either online or, or at parties or those kind of things. So in lots of different ways, we tried, we, we created uh, conversations that we, uh, that students were having with each other within school about all of these issues under the banner of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're trying to achieve is uh, raising their awareness of how they might differ from other people from different backgrounds with different opinions and how they would engage in 
a conversation about that difference so that they can un- so they can equip themselves with the ability to manage that difference in a positive way as they go on to their adult lives okay. um, and so that's an example for example of you know of the way we're thinking about preparing students for the life after well sure. the life in school but then the life at, after school that we think is important and relevant to navigate your way as a young adult in the world today how would you um how would this program and how would this work on a daily basis would you ask questions and then have open debates about it or would this be discussed in classrooms how would this this world ready or this this empathy issue be discussed concretely yeah well some of it takes place within uh, the formal timetable which is there's a part of the timetable which in english in in english curriculum is referred to as pshe personal social health education mm-hmm. um and uh, you know all all schools will have a, a version of that so we we build it into the personal social health education program particularly with the younger students and then as they get older um we ask them to take a lead in uh some more formal uh events so for example last uh in february uh we had international to celebrate international women's day we had a week of <clears throat> um international women's week effectively uh whereby there was a a sort of leadership committee amongst the students and they decided who they wanted to invite in so they invited in various uh mostly women to come and talk about mm-hmm. issues that they'd experienced in their in their life in their careers um challenges that you know women might have in in the workplace or um so forth and uh we had various discussion groups at lunchtime around that some of them were organized by the students some of them were organized by the teachers so we had a whole program for the week yeah uh, and it enabled us it was a sort of it was a way of the whole community discussing um sort of gender issues and issues around uh women's in women in the workplace um the glass ceiling and so forth and for for the boys to engage in this as well both the, both the boys and the girls and uh we think that, that that for example helped to raise the level of empathy of some of the boys about the challenges that you know girls might have in uh, or, or their own their own mothers <clears throat> uh, in the workplace so that's an example of yeah uh, how we can sort of, uh, construct uh, some formal ways of 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 looking at this mhm great fabulous um maybe sort of another higher level question that i would have is what's what do you feel is the role of a teacher in today's society interesting um yeah this is this <laughs> this is important isn't it um and it actually it's a really interesting question because we don't uh get a lot of feedback on that you get you get feedback on from students on whether they whether they feel they've been well taught have they been yeah. prepared for the exam well 
um, has their has their essay been marked mm. in the in the way they wanted? Have they got the grade they wanted? Right, uh, right. You know, there's lots of feedback on the academic teaching part of a teacher's role. Um, uh, but of course, the role of a teacher goes significantly beyond that, particularly when you're at a boarding school and you're uh, you're developing a type, different type of relationship with your teachers, and yeah. they become more of a role model, more of a uh, somebody who who you you learn from. Um, and I mean, one of the questions I always ask uh, when I'm sort of chatting with the students around the place is. Uh, you know, how would you describe your relationship with your teachers? And they will talk, they will say that obviously it's different if they're in an academic classroom to if they're in the in the boarding house. Um, yeah. and the the relationships in the boarding house are obviously much less formal, uh, they're more domestic, um, uh, and they will talk about every issue there that many of which um, I haven't talked to my own children about. My own children right. wouldn't talk to me about. <laughs> so I think there are, there are opportunities there for, for children to explore um, uh, sort of opinions and views and advice that they can do in a kind of trusted with, with people who they trust and they're also confident with. Um, mm. uh, you know, sometimes, as I say, the, those discussions, either they can't or they don't happen within families. There might be some families that are very open and they talk about everything. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, teenagers tend to be quite guarded with their own parents. <laughs> so uh, I, th I think sometimes that's one of the more important roles of yeah. definitely on the pastoral side of, of the teachers to sort of provide that that environment, that sounding board um, for those conversations, and not just the teachers, but, you know, the older students. I went into a, into a boarding house the other day, and um, in the uh, sort of a little part of the common room, there was a group of, you know, some 13-year-olds, some 15-year-olds, some 17-year-olds, some a couple of teachers, a cleaner, and they were all having a conversation about something they didn't want me to join in the conversation. <laughs> so whatever it was, whatever it was they were talking about was obviously sort of, but they were having it, they were laughing about something. And you got this kind of sense there was a, there was a sort of um, uh, just a, 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 a relaxed conversation about something that they all shared, an experience mm -hmm. that they all shared, that particularly the younger, the younger girls in that group were probably learning quite a lot from. Great. Okay. I like that. Um, specifically, specifically about Ardingline now, um, you're clearly doing extremely well in terms of academic results. Um, and especially relevant for obviously our German families is um, the IB, you, you know, the IB. And, and, you know, your IB average points, I think last year was 39 points, which is amazing mm. and puts you right up there at the top of, you know, IB schools in the UK um, and in the world. Um, how do you do that? Well, do you have any, is there a special source at Arling Line that, that allows you to make these kind of results happen? Mm. Um, I mean, there isn't a, 
there isn't a, a magic wand, but I think there is a, we have an approach that might be a bit different from some other schools. Um, uh, our approach, I think the, the three things that we are, we've identified <clears throat> as being really important um, is firstly, uh, making sure that you, making sure that the students who take the IB program are genuinely and really well suited to the IB diploma program. Um, and that, you know, sounds very obvious, but it's yeah. not always the case. Sometimes, you know, students take the IB program because their parents say they should do it, um, even though they may be better off doing a different program. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes vice versa, they take the A-level program when they should be doing the IB program and so forth. And, uh, you know, we've recognized that the IB program, the diploma is a very challenging academic uh, course program. Yeah. So we absolutely need to make sure that uh, the, the the children are right for doing the program. Um, and that secondly, they are choosing the right subjects within the program, which again sounds obvious, but it's quite, uh, it, it's more common than it should be for students to be taking a combination of higher level and standard level subjects that actually they're not particularly well suited to doing. And they only find that out sometimes when it's too late, when they've done it for a term or two terms, and then they start really struggling as the mountain gets a bit steeper. Mm. Uh, we do a lot of work early on in the program, the first three to six weeks, checking that everyone's doing the right program, they're taking the right subjects, their combination of higher level and standard level is correct. And we, if we need to make changes, we make cha we have the discussions early on. We make the changes early on, uh, so that we can then set everybody else up to be to be successful. Yeah. Uh, and then the third uh, element, uh, which again is very obvious, but it can be overlooked, <clears throat> um, is uh, the organisation of the course um, to enable the students to meet the deadlines. Uh, without it impacting negatively on their grades. Um, because, as you'll know, the, the minute you fall behind with the IB program, you're struggling. Yeah. And it will, impact, it will impact your stress levels and it will impact your grades as well. <clears throat> so we're, we're really, we police the, the setting of the deadlines and the meeting of the deadlines, both by the teachers and the students, uh, quite strongly mm -hmm. to, to provide the kind of support structure within which the students can fulfill the deadlines of the IB of the diploma successfully. Um, uh, so I'd say those are our, those are our three things that sure. we've, we've looked at. And as a result, possibly we have a slightly smaller cohort of IB students relative to the year group than, mm. than some schools. So, you know, we have every year 50 students who do the IB diploma in a year group of 135, 140. Uh, so it's about 40% of the year group, which mm -hmm. is fine it, it, as long as that's the right proportion. Uh, the proportion is fine, sorry, as long as those are the right students taking the programme. Um, yeah. where there are some schools that have had a much more sort of open door approach to the IB program, the IB diploma. Um, 
uh, you know, Teddy's Nerbwood strikes me as one that they've sort of been mm. quite uh, open, uh, inclusive about the programme and their, their approach is that everyone can do the programme, everyone can benefit from the programme, uh, from the diploma. Um, I, I see it slightly differently. I, I think in, mm-hmm. in the English context, in the context in which we're doing the diploma, um, I wouldn't say that it's, I, I don't believe it's for everybody. I think yeah. you have to be a particular type of student for the diploma to suit you and to enjoy it and to be successful in it. And that is about 40% of our cohort. Um, so we're very careful about who takes the diploma, which subjects they do, the higher level, standard level combinations, and then the management of the program as they go through it. And then obviously the teaching is vital, the relationship between the teachers and the students. And if we get those things right, then that those are really the ingredients that have enabled us to, to increase the grades. Great. Um, how do you make sure that pupils actually get the full boarding school experience as opposed to only burning the midnight oil in the library? You know, I mean, the IB is, yeah. is demanding, A-levels are demanding too. How, how do, you, do you gently nudge them to get involved? What's, what do you do there? Yeah, this is, uh, this is really important, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think they, the, integrate, the social integration is, is the first point that's, that's really important because I think if they feel that they are fully integrated with the whole school's, school community and particularly their year group, <clears throat> then they, they get more involved. Um, we have a, 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 a lot of social activity that goes on early on in their time. Um, so we have uh, a cafe and they all go and they spend some time there. And we have a, we didn't do it this year, but we would normally have a whole year group uh, weekend, sort of social bonding weekend when they go and they do team building. We have a ball, so they all get dressed up and they have a ball with the aim that by the time they've been here for six weeks, they have met and had a conversation with and got to know a bit every other girl or boy in their year group. Yeah. I think if you can get that, then they're much more likely to say, right, I'm going to... I've met somebody who's doing sailing or I've met somebody who's doing fencing or who's in the choir or something and I'm going to go along with them and do it. Uh, So I think that's the way, the the real key to to getting the engagement. Um, And then having, I think at the beginning, particularly uh, a certain level of compulsion is important. So everyone does some sport, everyone joins in the house music you know, etc., uh, and that also enables everybody to the new students, particularly, to uh, you know to make sure they have joined in, and that once normally once they've joined in, they've enjoyed participating, um, and you know then in the second year, in the final year of school, their, their second year of IB, you know inevitably they they reduce the number of non-academic activities they're doing but yeah. by that time they've made their friends they've 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 had the experience of joining in the wider participation of boarding life um and, and that's fine but but definitely what we don't want is 
you know, from day one. And you get it occasionally, a student who arrives and, you know, on the first night of the year, they put themselves in their room and say, I've got work to do. Yeah. And we will yeah. say, yeah, this can wait. You know, we've, we've got to do <laughs> the, social, the social foundation first. Once you have the social foundation, um, then, then you can shut yourself in your room. So, okay, great. Um, and Ben, we at Von Bülow regularly talk to families about pupils' use of technology, gadgets, yeah. social media, cyberbullying, um, and the like. Um, what's your personal take on how schools and families should approach kids on these types of things? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, this is where it comes back. I think that this word empathy is so important because if we've done our job well um, as educators, then, you know, by the time they are 14, 15, uh, they, they should have a sufficiently high level of empathy and understanding of how people are different, that they don't feel the need to uh, make the mistakes on social media that you might otherwise make. Because if you understand how the impact of your behavior is on other people, then you just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, either face-to-face or <clears throat> behind somebody's back or on social media or whatever. So I think the empathy is really important in terms of how people relate to each other in every kind of way. Yeah. In terms of the, the kind of disciplines of, um, <clears throat> of uh, using IT, we have, uh, uh, two years ago, we, we essentially went paper-free. So all of our students now work, <clears throat> their daily work is on a Microsoft Surface device. All of their course material is on the device. Um, they have a pen that they work on the screen. Uh, so they will have a file and they can print things off and put them in the file, but essentially their work is, is on the screen. What this now means actually <clears throat> is that when they're not working, they, <laughs> they don't want to be on the screen. Yeah. Um, they then put the screen away and say, I've done enough of that. I'm going to go and, you know, go to the common room to have a chat with my friends. I'm going to yeah. go outside and do some exercise, whatever. Um, so I think that actually it's been an interesting transition for us because when the students were working on the, you know, pens and paper and files and, you know, bits of paper, they then, when they wanted to relax, they were going on the screen. Um, and now they want to do that. They want to do that much less. So we mm -hmm. found that screen, screen time, um, although their screen time has increased because they're working on the screen more. Um, their screen time off work has reduced, definitely, um, which definitely increases the, the social interaction within a boarding house. Yeah. Um, and then with things like, you know, we just went uh, two years ago, we went to a system whereby during the school day, um, the phone is banned. So mm -hmm. between half past eight in the morning and five o'clock in the, in the afternoon, uh, they, they don't use the phone. 
And I think that has helped, that's helped them just, that discipline has helped them to say, okay, I'll put it away and I'll just enjoy my face-to-face relationships yeah. with people in school. And then, you know, the weekend or uh, in the evening, if I need to catch up with mum or dad or some friends at home, I'd do it then, but not throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Okay, great. Ben, I would like to know, shift gig gears quickly and talk about about you as a person and as a headmaster um how did your career as as a as an educator start Uh, um, it started with most of my family being teachers and therefore me not wanting to be a teacher oh wow okay <laughs> which is which is the way it sometimes it sometimes happens so i was i mean my uh my uncle was a history teacher and a headmaster of various european schools mm-hmm. which were very interesting schools based mostly in the benelux countries um uh and one in england as well so uh i was quite influenced by him uh my sister's a teacher my brother's a teacher etc Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely didn't want to become a teacher, <laughs> uh, and I went to work in television, uh, in advertising, and then in television, and I did that for ten years. And mm-hmm. then I decided that I did actually want to become a teacher after all <laughs> when I was when I was thirty. Um, uh, so I went to I joined a school called Abingdon in Oxfordshire, um, mm-hmm. and I uh, really enjoyed the history teacher. I mean, my route into it was that. I, I love my subject. I love teaching it. Um, I felt that I, uh, by the time I was 30, I had used my brain to a certain degree in my professional life, but not in the same way as you do when you're in, in an academic world because you really get to engage your, your academic brain in a way that you haven't done since you were at university. So I sort of went back to school teaching myself some of the history topics that I needed to teach that I hadn't studied. <clears throat> and I found that really stimulating and I, I really enjoyed that. So I think that was my, that was my route in. Um, right. But certainly the, for me, the experience of having had 10 years of professional life, <clears throat> um, not in teaching, not in schools uh, has been really useful for me. Um, mm. I think it, in understanding that there are certain things that children need that they can't get in school, and therefore we need to bring some of the school, some things from outside school into school for them, and we need to take them outside school and widen their horizons for what what happens outside school, um, because the day they leave school is is sort of the day the import, really important stuff starts. Yeah, Um, it's the end of our it's sort of the end of our job but it's only if we've done our job well will they then be fine once they leave us so so do you still teach now sometimes i'm i'm not teaching this year um because there's been a bit to do with covid um but i normally teach uh the ib either ib history or gcse history and we've just started teaching a new course of sociology, which I think is really interesting. I'd, I'd like Great. to try and teach that. Yeah. Perfect. 
what's you know inevitably we have to talk about COVID nineteen a little bit. I'm sure you're probably sick and tired of it. Um, so I'm hopefully going to ask you a question that you might not uh, not get confronted with on too regular basis. Um, what what have you personally found hardest um, the last six seven months? As a headmaster and as a as a leader of Arling Line, yeah, I think it's, that's a really in, interesting question. Um, I think the 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 biggest challenge has been again. I come back to this word empathy. I think the biggest challenge has been trying to understand how everybody has reacted to the. Uh, the virus, the threat of the virus, the fear of the virus, very differently. <clears throat> um, if you lined up a <clears> hundred <throat> people, um, and and you could measure somehow <clears throat> their response to what's been happening with COVID, I think you would get a hundred different responses. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's a there's a wide spectrum, therefore. <clears throat> and everybody has been on a slightly different place on that spectrum at different times. Um, and sometimes they've been fine. And then suddenly the whole thing becomes a bit too much and they become stressed and they get worried about coming into work or they get worried about parents have obviously been very worried about their children coming into school. Um, <clears throat> probably more than the students themselves have been worried. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's kind of really been the the, the difficulty is balancing uh, the kind of the need to get get on with school, um, to continue with l normal life as best we can, mm. because I, I think that has that has been important to send a message to the school community that uh, we can't just stop doing everything and grind to a halt. Uh, we need to have children in school. School is the best place for children to be during the term. Um, it's where they have friendships, their connections, all of those kind of things. So the balance for me between business as usual and sensitivity to uh, those who have been you know, genuinely worried about the virus yeah. <clears throat> that's been a difficult bit to strike. And as I say, it's been very different for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, so, for example, we've tried to keep in contact with <clears throat> particular overseas parents and try to give them options as to when their children come back, whether they came back for the quarantine or not, whether they stayed um, at home for part of the term to do remote learning or whether they, were, whether they came back to school. So we tried to give a lot of flexibility to parents, um, particularly overseas boarding parents and students, to make their own decisions about their own response. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and broadly, that's my... I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of lockdown at all. I think it is important for, uh, for people to, to assess the risk and the issues in their own context and make their own decisions. Mm. So I, we, I've tried to enable parents to, and students to do that, okay. whilst also 
making sure that you know we are operating normal school um, for for those who can and want to. And you know, fortunately, as I said at the beginning, all but about nine or ten of our students have been back for the first seven weeks of, of term, and that's been, I think, the thing that has kept everybody going mm. has been the energy that children bring to school. So they brought their own energy, which has helped each other to keep keep going. And they brought energy to teachers as well that has helped them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Okay. Then um, really the final question, how do you manage to take some time out and relax at the moment? And, and how do you do that if you do? <laughs> um, well, I, I'm, I'm not a natural runner. Um, I'm probably a bit heavy to be a natural runner. But I, I, I started running during the lockdown. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, a, that's been a useful... I mean, I play quite a lot of tennis. Uh, so I've, I've tried to get out, do a bit of exercise. Um, and then, uh, you know, on the couple of occasions when, like everybody, one feels that it's getting a bit too stressful... Uh, you just have to close down the computer, go outside, um, <clears throat> take some exercise, do something a bit different, and then you come back to it and you're, you're normally okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've managed to take a, a little bit of time out. I'm fortunate that, you know, I live in this school, which is a – there's lots of fresh air and open country here. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I live in a place where I can, you know, take some exercise um, and and – not get away from the school because I live here, but uh, get away metaphorically. Yeah, great. Ben, thank you so much for joining me for tea this afternoon. Yeah, not at all. Thank you for inviting me, Ferdinand. It's been great to talk. Thank you for your interesting questions. They've been been inspirational, yeah. It's been good. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks a lot. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was the smart and lucid Ben Figgis, headmaster of Ardingleigh College. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I did recording it. So, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you you join me for the next episode of Tea with the Head in a couple of weeks' time. For now, I wish you goodbye, stay safe, and all the very best to you and your family.